0: Hey, Charlotte, before we start, um, how do I pronounce your surname?
1: <laughs> Burnick. Burnick. Yeah, it's a lot easier to pronounce than it is to spell. <laughs>
0: it's, the sort of thing, it's the sort of thing that uh, a good interviewer would do before he went live, and <laughs> it was uh, captured for posterity forever, but I'm not a good interviewer yet. I'm still new to this. <laughs> um, so this is, I think, the 13th or 14th one of these I've done, so I've been doing them in lockdown. Um, And so to our audience, obviously, welcome to AOR Lives. Um, This is, uh, uh, this one's going to be on mental health. And so I've invited Charlotte Bonig here um, to talk with us a little bit about mental health, which I think since we're all now in this very interesting phase of the lockdown where the rules are changing and it's all uncertain and the entire world has, at least in the UK, gone completely mad over the last few days. Um, I think it would be a really good time to sit down and talk about us and think a little bit more about individuals and also think a bit more about mental health and parkour coaching and the various directions, we can take that. Um, So let me introduce my guest. Charlotte is a yoga-loving, aerial silks-dabbling, triathlon-shrine, free-running, weightlifting girly girl and the director of Free Your Instinct, a charity that helps those with mental health support um, with mental health support needs by delivering parkour classes. Uh, So Charlotte, I like to start each podcast a bit easily just talking a little bit about each person's journey into parkour. So with that in mind, how did you come across parkour?
1: Um, Oh gosh, it was a number of years ago now. Um, I was living in London. Um, I've always been into um, health and fitness and stuff like that. I think I must have been about six or seven running around the lounge to... Jane Fonda workout video, getting told off by my dad for clapping too loudly. <laughs> um, but I, when, I, when I came across Parkour, I was living in London and I think it was about the same time that Jump London must have, must have come out. I don't remember seeing the film itself, but I remember seeing a, a news report where I was like, well, that just looks like they're skateboarding without a skateboard. <laughs> and um, I was going through a bit of a, a yes phase and I don't know if you remember um, years ago, they might actually still do it. On a Friday, they, um, handed out at, at um, underground stations the magazine I think it was called sport but it was a sport based magazine and on this certain week um the center page was um about parkour and I was like ah that's that's skateboarding without a skateboard um, and at the end of the article was, um, lots um,
0: and lots it... of practitioners are just cringing right now <laughs> <Yeah>. continue continue <laughs>
1: <laughs> at the end of the article was um an advert for classes which I, w- I always just thought well how can that thing how can you teach that thing surely it's just something that guys do like bmx and you just pick up a bike and you get some bruises and <laughs> and um so i was like uh, oh it's Friday. It's on, on a Friday. Um, I went home, picked up my uh, my kit, went to the class and absolutely loved it. Um, I think rather than describing it as skateboarding from there on, um, it was ju- jumping around on walls for a bit.
0: <laughs> nice. Who was that with?
1: And That then was with Urban Free Flow. It was just before Parkour Generations came up. Um, nice. So, yeah. A Very early days. <laughs> And so that was, yeah, how I, how I got involved in it or how I found out about it.
0: Cool. So um, let's fast forward a little bit then. So how did um, Free Your Instinct come about?
1: Um, So I decided the the London life wasn't for me, Um, moved out and um, I was working at the time, I was working as a fitness instructor for um, mental health services um, in Bristol. So working with um, inpatient mental health and forensic services as well. And um, my professionally, I teach yoga, I teach Pilates, but obviously a lot of what I do is, is heavily influenced by, by my parkour. And um, when I started working there, yes, there is a relationship between um, physical activity and mental health, but a lot of the activities that they were currently doing was like, get this person running on a treadmill. And I was like, well, I'd be depressed if all I had to do was run on a treadmill. Um, And when I was working with people, actually, what I was using was the more, the more natural movement of, mostly yoga, but a lot of the kind of parkour influenced yoga um, that I kind of integrated into my own practice. And I noticed that how people were responding was just so much better than the other things that they were doing. Um, We had one person who um, I was doing one-to-one yoga with and they started off, they were having a really bad day, um, didn't really say that much. By the end of the session, they were just chatting away talking about what they did before they were in hospital, what they'd like to do, their goals, their dreams, their ambitions. I was like, crikey, you know, I'm not going to take 100% responsibility for this. but (laughs) It just shows how when you have that dialogue, when you have that relationship with um, your body, how it can change how you're feeling mentally. And um, so I had a couple of conversations with my managers saying, you know, "I I think this would be a really good idea. Obviously, parkour, especially a few years ago, had this kind of perception of being quite dangerous um, and they were like no 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 and being the kind of stubborn determined person that I was I managed to somehow wangle a meeting with a director at the NHS trust I was working for and uh, he said I really like your concept but we just can't afford it Which so I was like aha now we now we're getting somewhere <laughs> um, and so I managed to um secure a very small amount of funding we funded the first course and ta-da your instinct was born So sheer stubbornness, I think, is the appropriate answer to that one.
0: Okay, so why did you go down the charitable route then instead of creating just like a for profit or a much simpler concept?
1: Um, For me, it was important to tackle the right audience. Um, There are quite a few people within mental health services that aren't necessarily employed. They won't necessarily have the type of funds where I would feel comfortable making a profit from them um, and with the charitable status quite often the funding that we get we are able to do it um, free at points of access for the participants um, mm-hmm. and that was important for me that we could pay the coaches but it was still free at points of access
0: awesome cool so like why don't we start with some sort of basic ideas about Uh, parkour coaches and mental health. So let's start with a big why. Why should parkour coaches be aware of mental health challenges in the classroom?
1: It's so, so important. Um, The way we teach um, has such a massive impact on how somebody's, um, how somebody's feeling. The way we teach can make somebody feel absolutely incredible. On the flip side, if we're not aware of what we're saying what we're doing the techniques we're using the way we teach can also really really trigger somebody's mental well-being um uh-huh. so i think that's important for us to understand um also how somebody is feeling on any given day can affect what they are physically able to do so you see quite a lot of coaches And this isn't a bad thing. This is exactly what we're trying to do. We will work to push people outside their comfort zone. Now, if somebody's Mm -hmm. comfort zone is usually there, but today actually it's there, but we're pushing them where it usually is, actually that can be incredibly re-triggering. So sometimes when we are in that mental state, just spending a little bit of a time just playing around within our comfort zone means we're just laying those kind of physical and mental foundations to then be able to push further. But by jumping straight to where we think their comfort zone should be, when we're not taking the individual into account. And that I think is important for us as coaches to to be aware of definitely.
0: Do you see that idea of the comfort zone changing, being close to mental health, being something relatively unique to parkour or do you kind of put that around most sporting and coaching in general?
1: I think it's more more obvious in parkour, um, but I think it's definitely, definitely relevant in in other situations obviously with team sports if you are having a bad day and your comfort zone dropped by a fraction the rest of the team it might not be noticeable because the rest of the team might pick it up um with something like snowboarding or climbing because it is very much you and the situation then it's probably fairly similar to, to parkour but i think because parkour is an interaction with yourself and your environment together, it's almost like a dialogue between the two things. I think it's more more noticeable in parkour, definitely.
0: So what really uh, stands out for me there is that idea of um, what the point of your class is. So you've kind of, you've almost set up this idea of some people see the point of the classes to pushing them physically. Um, whereas you're probably setting up a slightly different set of outcomes for what the point of our parkour class might be. Do you want to maybe tell me a little bit what that could be?
1: Um, So with the classes that we um, that we run specifically for mental health service users, they differ from um, uh, from mainstream classes in two different ways. So first of all, there is the um, delivery aspect of it. Now, if somebody is very acutely unwell, say um, they're suffering from schizophrenia, psychosis, the more kind of um, specialist, as it were, um, mental health difficulties. Um, First, you've got to look at their their symptoms and um, how they're reacting. Um, Those things can make people's reactions a lot slower, um, in which case we've, again, got to take that into account. Um, They can feel very lethargic, which, again, if we're pushing them to the maximum of their comfort zone, that's when, actually, are we pushing them too far for where they're feeling today. Um, But also we've got to look at what medications they're on. So with schizophrenia, there are certain types of medications where um, one of the side effects is is tachycardia, a resting heart rate of over 100 beats per minute. Obviously, tachycardia is a um, contraindication to exercise. They wouldn't be included in in the classes. But if you've got somebody coming to a class where they might have a resting heart rate of 85, 90, that's a bit more of a, a gray area. That means we then have to... Kind of tailor the exercise so that they are still getting what they want out of the class but we're not beasting them with the rest of the class as it were um so you've got to take into account physically and um how the individual is is presenting with their um with their mental health difficulties and as you were saying in terms of content that's the other um, area with a lot of mainstream classes it's like well how can we get good at a kong how can we get good at a dash how can we get good at this With our classes, what we tend to focus on is less about the specific movement. Yes, obviously people will learn the movement, um, but it's more about the intention of the class. So we set the intention at um, uh, problem solving or overcoming obstacles or um, overcoming fear. So then it becomes less about the movement and more about how do I overcome this challenge or how um, how do I do this? And that allows you to work with how each individual is feeling because where they're feeling at that point will influence how they're overcoming that obstacle, how they're feeling becomes part of the environment that they're working within, which means that you can get people at various different levels working on the same activity in, in their own different ways.
0: A lot of my coaches are really interested in more from mainstream classes than the specific ones you're talking about, but about trying to make those ideas very much a reality in the way they class plan. So trying to class plan for overcoming obstacles, trying to class plan for positive mental attitude. Um, What process do you go through when thinking about class planning in those circumstances?
1: Um, We um, we work quite closely with the head coach and the the lead coach. it's breaking it down into what kind of, once you take the kind of key um, intention, as it were, and once uh-huh. you take the key intention, um, breaking it down into what movements are most likely to um, uh, to invoke that intention, and what way we can string those movements together to invoke that intention. Um, but it's also how best to get the participant engaging with that, so that they take ownership of the results that are coming from that. Um, so yeah, it's it's less of a structured, you will be doing this, you will be doing that, this is going to be done at 10.01, this is going to be done at 10.02. It's more kind of having a, a loose plan and saying, right, this is, this is what aspect of parkour is going to invoke those qualities. How can we apply this to the people that we've that we've got in front of us?
0: Mm, okay, um, I kind of want to develop that idea a little bit more because it's sort of interesting to me because I think it's a very good way of class planning for the for anyone to kind of go. Okay, I have this general idea I want to get across. Um, what? Um, so if we sort of imagine ourselves in that situation where we've sat down and we have this class plan and we want to uh, start thinking about overcoming obstacles, and we've got a range of different personalities in front of us. um, And what sort of things are you thinking about when you walk into the classroom in those situations?
1: Um, I suppose the things you're thinking about is if, if there's anybody that's presenting very, very unwell, um, that might need a little bit more one-to-one support, um, you're looking at if there is anybody who physically might need a little bit more support. So if they're feeling particularly lethargic um, that day, or if um, their body's not responding um, as they would like it to that day. Um, sorry, can you repeat the question?
0: um what I'm really what I'd love to dig into is like um I come into this environment and I have a general class plan and then I'm yep. thinking about things so maybe from my perspective I'd be walking in I'd be thinking about hey is anyone injured uh, how is everyone feeling what equipment do I have with me begin uh, I want to begin the moving with a simple exercise and see where they're all at and then I want to see if I can develop that in an interesting way yeah. I was sort of seeing if there were parallels with what you were doing or if there were other steps you were taking within that process. Not
1: really. I mean, physical health and mental health, are they, they overlap so much. So in the same way that you'd um, check, you know, how are you feeling today? Um, do you have any injuries? Do you have a cold? Um, understanding you know you you do the same kind of check with how people are are mentally feeling and just adapt the class in exactly the same way so there's not really any any additional steps which is the the good thing about it it's just making sure that you're aware of of how people are feeling that day and thinking like right well how does that tick over with the plan that I've got Mm -hmm. I've got kind of sketched out
0: so it's probably about being more aware of those things that we already kind of know and just being much better at them. So it's that skill set there. Yeah. Rather definitely. than any rapid changes to the classroom. Yeah,
1: definitely, definitely.
0: Awesome. So then that probably prompts a very interesting question, which is what is the practical difference between um, teaching those with mental health support needs and that specific diagnosed needs compared yeah. with teaching a general population? who Obviously, regularly will have also mental health needs of different sort.
1: Um, Ultimately, none. Um, with our classes, we work with um, mental uh, with NHS services, so um, a lot of our people are um, uh, signposted to us from uh, from mental health services and do have a, a recognised uh, mental health need. Um, but if somebody were to come up to our class and say, you know, I'm I'm not having a great day today. Do you mind if I join in? Um, then, you know, I'm not going to say no. You're not unwell enough. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I suppose practically it would just be just making sure, again, you are aware of any, um, side effects that they were, um, that you might need to, not side effects, any symptoms that you might need to take into account. So as I say, the lethargy, um, the stiffness that they sometimes get in their body, um, you again, may need to be aware of their, their medications. So if there is any likelihood of them experiencing anything like tachycardia, um, things like that i think those are the only real kind of practical implications when you're dealing with um sort of high-end mental health difficulties like schizophrenia like like psychosis and things like that um but otherwise it's just making sure that you are aware of where somebody is on that day um so that you're not re-triggering any negative thoughts that they might be they might be having
0: um is there not a um also especially you you started off by talking about people who have psychosis issues with schizophrenia who are sort of at the further end of the spectrum view um is there not a degree to which there are another set of skills associated with that and i'm kind of asking that question because i don't want to get into a position where people say oh no you can have anyone in your class
1: (laughs) no definitely um i personally am qualified um in physical activity and mental health so what that will cover is um uh understanding medications understanding the side effects of things um so within um our charity when we take on a new coach we make sure that everybody has an internal training on that um with a lot of the qualifications that you can get if you wanted to find out more about it then um you can get, uh, I think, free courses on things like allison.com. Mind do um, a sports-specific training on um, mental health and physical activity that goes into understanding um, how sports can affect uh, mental well-being and things like that. And those are really, really good courses to go on. In terms of mainstream classes, I know a lot of um, mainstream classes, you may have somebody in your class that has schizophrenia and you, you might might not necessarily know. It's not something that's often included on a lot of PARQ um, par cor- uh, forms. Um, so you don't necessarily have to change it exactly um, as long as you're aware of it. And as long as you don't cross your boundaries, you're not there to, to fix anyone. Um, if they're coming to your class, they're coming to your class because they want to take part in that class. Um, so, as long as you're aware of, as I say, any, any side effects, any medications um, that you're not going to re-trigger anything, there's not too much you really have to do to change. Mm-hmm.
0: I like that message. Because I think it applies uh, just as you said earlier, both mentally and physically. If someone's there, they're there to try and take part in your class. Mm. And I love that very inclusive message of, you know, do your best for them. Create a s- circumstance that lets them be included in their way.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um,
0: Cool. You know, if somebody um, turned up
1: to your class with diabetes or, or asthma, um, you know, you'd say, well, have you got your medications on you? Are, you know, do you know what, what's likely to, um, trigger a, a hyper or anything like that? You wouldn't say you can't, you can't be here. Um, <laughs> so it, it's kind of like the, the mental being version of, of that. As long as you're aware and you know that they've got what they need, there's no okay. reason why they can't, they can't be there.
0: That's cool. Um, It actually makes me think of um, my friend, Chris Grant. um, uh, He was on a podcast a while ago. He works for a charity that wants to end mental health discrimination. Um, And um, the thing about that that's very interesting is you talking about making sure that you collect the relevant information about the person. Um, But uh, probably a lot of our audience um, aren't going to feel comfortable asking mental health questions necessarily, the same way they ask physical health um, questions. Uh, How would you begin helping people ask those questions and starting that process of being able to communicate with that language better?
1: I think it comes in part of the culture. I mean, if, if you think if somebody handed you a PARQ you um, or a physical activity um, readiness form, you wouldn't hesitate to fill it out. Yep. 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 No, no, no. Um, so, you know, having a question at the bottom saying, is there, um, you know, any mental health um, things I should know about in a, a tick box or something like that um, can take steps to making it so that you're not making a big deal about it. But also uh, in the culture of um, your training, your um if you run a club or something like that having it having mental well-being and mental health open and something that you are all willing to talk about I think enables people to know that it is a safe place to talk about there's still so much stigma around it's getting better don't get me wrong but there's still so much stigma around um uh mental health mental health difficulties talking about it um I find that people are quite willing to um quite happy to talk about depression and anxiety and they'll throw that around like anything but one of the reasons that um I specifically talk about schizophrenia and psychosis is because people don't talk about those things I've been to mental health awareness days where people have been oh you know we I have a depression I have anxiety but my sister she's got a schizophrenia It's like, well, why are you whispering about that? We're in a Mental Health Awareness Day. (laughs) So I think the more you make it part of your culture to make it something that you do talk about, then you're encouraging other people to talk about it. Um, Mm -hmm. And that makes it so much easier.
0: So um, our coaches went through the Mental Health First Aid course. Uh, mostly just because we thought it was a really cool idea. We got to do it for very cheap. And so we went on the course um, and it was um, really eye-opening and an interesting way to start breaking down some of those barriers you're talking about. Um, is that something that would you, you would recommend to other coaching organisations and what other directions would you uh, push organisations who want to learn more about mental health to go into?
1: Definitely, definitely. Um, obviously, I, I personally think mental health first aid should be on a par with physical first aid, you know, you wouldn't be able to get insurance without physical first aid Um, and if somebody turns up to your class and says, I want to do something to myself that's not very nice, then you need to know what to do with that information, whether that's call the police, whether that's call your safeguarding lead, Um, you need to know what to do with that information to keep that person protected. so yeah, I think mental health um, first aid is, is absolutely essential. Um, if people wanted to um, to develop further into that, as I say, there are courses available, even if it's just um, understanding kind of a little bit more about mental health. As I say, there's so many free courses online, whether it's the free open uni courses, whether it's the, the Allison courses. Mind, again, as I say, have set up um, a specific um, sports uh, coaching and mental health course. I think it's about 250 pounds um, which in the general scheme of the courses that you pay for for cpds isn't isn't that much and it gives you a lot of understanding about um what um certain mental health issues are um how to interact with them how to respond to them um so that one's really good and as i say you know if you're um if you're at a certain level you can even qualify for um Uh, physical activity and mental health which goes into a little bit more detail about the um, specific conditions and the specific medications so there really is so much information available there um, as long as you're you're willing to invest in it and look for it definitely.
0: Cool Um, with that idea ringing in our minds shall we just like turn it around a little bit Um, what distinction would you make to the coaches who begin learning about mental health um in terms of what parts of talking about mental health and working with people with support needs should the coaches be doing and at what point should they be stepping back going saying okay this might need professional health and looking yeah. a little bit further for help
1: yeah i mean boundaries knowing where your boundaries are is is huge um it's one thing that i see a lot of a lot of personal trainers even overstepping their professional boundaries um you know we're not psychologists we are we're qualified instructors we're we're qualified um, and <laughs> <hope it. laughs> um but we are not psychologists and I think that is where the main boundary comes from so you know you might have somebody at the end of a class oh, you know that was really tough but I, I got through it um you know I was having a really rubbish day today but I'm feeling much better or you know somebody might say oh, this week has been a a shocking week and you can have a chat with them one of the best things about being a coach is we are in a position where we do get that weekly engagement with people we do build these friendships up with our our participants with our um i was going to say with our clients um so we are in that position where people will talk to us about more and that's great what we need to understand is when it starts to turn right i'm not qualified with this um and that is when they might start to talk about things that they're doing to themselves. If, say, somebody comes to your class and they are not within mental health services, but they start talking about um, certain thoughts that they're having, then it's about signposting them to the right areas. You know, if you're not qualified, uh, you know, a qualified Samaritan or something like that, you're not there to give them advice um, necessarily. But if you find yourself in a position where you're thinking, oh, I need to advise them on this, I need to advise them on that, stop and think, well, where can I signpost them to that somebody might be better qualified for this? Can I signpost them to, to the Samaritans? Should I be getting them to phone 111 to speak to somebody um, slightly more professionally about this? And again, you know, if somebody's talking about harming themselves or, um, or suicidal thoughts. That's definitely, definitely something that is well outside your remit. So speaking with somebody, um, knowing who to refer to, knowing your safeguarding policy is absolutely essential when you're working with with people that may, may be voicing these types of thoughts.
0: So um, I'm trying to phrase a complicated question to you because I think it might be an interesting one. But these are. I, And I think that in itself is quite odd because these are difficult, we don't always have the words for describing these things. I think because as a society, talking openly about mental health is still quite new. Um, So you sort of talked a little bit about best practice for, let's say, the end of a spectrum, which is people coming to you and saying, hey, I'm thinking about cutting myself, hey, I'm considering suicide very very negative connotation concepts but they probably sit at the end of a spectrum full of a much broader gray area where coaches work in day-to-day um what sort of um behaviors can lead to more positive open discussion about mental health that will help create communities that are comfortable talking with each other
1: Definitely. As I say, that's a kind of culture thing. So just asking people how they're feeling, being open about how you're feeling. Obviously, you know, as a as a coach, you don't want to talk about all of your um, personal life. <laughs> and you, you don't have to. But, you know, just being open and honest about, you know, how different people are feeling. And quite often, if you are... Um, if you are basing your classes on an intention rather than an activity. So if your intention is problem solving, overcoming obstacles, that automatically um, brings out that conversation. Cause it's like, well, in which situation mm-hmm. would you need to overcome this? In which situation would you need to overcome that? And that can get a lot of the, the conversation going in a way that, as you say, isn't like the, the far end of the spectrum, it, you know, it could just be right. So, a problem that I have to solve in everyday life is how to deal with my annoying manager. How can I apply that to this parkour <laughs> session? And you can get that conversation going through uh-huh. or through your movement. And that is one of the one of the benefits of why parkour is so um, applicable to mental well being and overcoming mental obstacles because you're applying your thoughts to your movement, which kind of feed back into each other. You know, the body knows the body knows how it's feeling. It doesn't necessarily know how it's thinking. Okay.
0: Um, so, um, why do you, so it, it's, what everything you're talking to me about makes me think about obviously how I teach and how I coach and when I engage with things. And one of the things that, um, you've made me think about a lot is the way that we face and talk about fear of heights and other fears, yeah. uh, and the way that they, um, create anxiety um, what what other aspects of parkour, or do you want to talk about that aspect of parkour, do you think really suits itself to this model where it can really become a discussion about mental health in a really positive way?
1: I think fear is probably one of the um, biggest ones that comes out. A lot of people, I think, hook onto this fear because one thing that is quite obvious with parkour is you can come to a jump and you can think, right, I, I'm pretty sure I've got this. And then you think, whoo, have this Um, and then then you do it and actually how how your brain was developing that fear had no kind of basis in in reality um so that is one good way that parkour um allows you to have that dialogue with your with your body what's real and and what's not um another I think one of the, the key pivotal reasons why parkour is so essential or not essential so influential on your your mental well-being is this idea of parkour vision um, a lot of people throw this term around um constantly like oh i now look at a wall and it's not just a wall it's something to run up something to jump up something to vault over something to um to balance on um and the way they talk about it is fixed very much within the parkour um but actually mm-hmm. what that does to your perception of things can influence everything else you know if Mm -hmm. suddenly something that was built to restrict you becomes this whole world of opportunity how on earth does that affect your everyday life actually that is something else that you can start to attribute to right you know i've reached this block somebody said no to whatever plan i've got how else can i get there what other route can i use can i vault over that (laughs) so there are so many different aspects of how we interact with ourselves and how we interact with our our environment um, and that dialogue that it creates, whether it's a dialogue with um, our perception of things, whether it's a dialogue with our emotions, our fears, um, that actually start to make steps towards us understanding our own mental health and our own identity better, definitely.
0: Okay, so do you see a link then between The, the concept, the very physical concept of overcoming obstacles and um, this much more um, ephemeral idea within parkour, which is overcoming anything that you can take. And is that one of your core messages and why you could use it?
1: Definitely, I think when you do it in parkour, your body feels it. It feels what it's like to overcome that obstacle. If, you know, Whether that obstacle is a literal physical wall or whether that obstacle is, I've tried this 20 times, but it's taken me 30 times before I've got it. <laughs> 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 whether it's one obstacle or the other. What you then realize is that actually, if I can do this in parkour, everything else is slightly more achievable. Um, if you know it takes me 30, 40, 50 attempts to do it, actually it might take me a hundred times to do it, but I, as long as I keep trying, I can achieve something um, mm-hmm. and I think you know that that does reflect very much in parkour, and you can take that out into your into your wider experience definitely.
0: Um. For some reason, an idea that's just come to my mind is, and it might, it's not so much a critique of what you're saying, as it is something that I sometimes hear from clients when we try and talk about these ideas very openly, which is, I'm just here to do parkour. I'm just here to move. I don't want to have these deeper thoughts. Like, I'm not interested in this. I'm just, I just want to jump on things. Yeah. Like, how would you sort of deal, talk to that sort of person with these ideas?
1: different people come to movement for different reasons um one thing that you find with um parkour like for me I love physical activity because it stops my brain from working I have to admit some of those parkour sessions they're like think about how you do this I'm like no don't make it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I sympathize with that completely <laughs> um but yeah different people come at it for different reasons so you will get some people who they are at a certain place within their mental health and they're like i really want to push it so i want to push boundaries i want to break jumps i want and they've got the brain space to do that but like i was talking about with um that comfort zone if you don't have the brain space to be able to do those other things it may be that you've got a really stressful job you've got 101 deadlines coming in you've got you know as a coach you don't know what else that person has going on in their, their life and then you're saying and now think about this other thing They're like no i just want to just stop my brain for a second um, and when people are at that stage doing some of those kind of more repetitive movements um or the the basic foundational groundwork movements in parkour can be really good for for creating that space so sometimes if somebody is coming to you saying I'm not in a space where I want to think about this. Just getting them to switch off their other thoughts by doing certain repetitive movements first can be really good at creating that space and allowing them to focus on the flow of their movements. So they are then able to open up towards those, those other activities.
0: Um, to continue the, the question of niche cases, what about those who come in who are, um, um, high risk um individuals so those coming in who are throwing themselves at things who are not taking care who have a very different set of problems because they'll likely end up in the same population as those who are risk averse and who are being triggered
1: Mm. um i suppose that's um that's another area when um when we coach because obviously we do get certain high-risk people um that are likely to want to self-harm themselves during a class we always have two participants in a class so that's one way that we work around it i'm aware that um with mainstream classes you won't always necessarily do coaches have that. but yes so we have a lead coach and an assistant coach um, so that if somebody is requiring a little bit more one-to-one attention then um, the assistant coach can manage those while the lead coach is still able to to focus on on the main uh class so that is one way around it um But yeah, obviously if you've got some, if you've only got one coach and um, somebody's coming in and they're not necessarily listening um, and they're doing stuff that is actually could harm them um, and cause issues. There are a number of ways around that, whether it's um, using your your coaching technique. um, So doing movements that are in line with what they want to achieve. Um, So quite often with and I'm not, um, cause obviously things like ADHD are slightly different to mental health difficulties. So that's not my area of specialism, but if somebody with ADHD, isn't necessarily focusing and concentrating, it's about kind of understanding, well, what is it that they want to get out of today's session? What is it that I can hook onto, to, to buy into their concentration? Cause they do have it. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> it's just finding out where it is. Um, and similarly, if somebody is, um, Uh, mentally unwell to the point where they are looking for some reason to harm themselves during the class it's managing that risk appropriately Um, so you don't necessarily want to stop them doing any activity that's going to cause them risk because you want to want them to understand how to, to manage that but it's finding how can I get them to engage with what they're thinking in a physical way that's not going to cause them harm so it might be using distraction techniques of um, say, a slightly less intense exercise, like a, a low vault or something like that, that gets their, their brain and their body interacting together, getting that dialogue going, but in a slightly more controlled manner than you know, starting off at height or starting off with something complex.
0: Okay, so um, you, you linked um, risk-taking and self-harm there quite strongly. Um, I've never really thought about it that way do you normally would is because I've not heard those things be put together before is that They're quite commonly associated related,
1: so I apologize for that um, no, I mean you, you you quite often find um, people assume that parkour is a, is a risk-taking sport but actually what you find is that a lot of people will push their boundaries in a way that they mitigate risks as much as possible um if they're coming from a a comfortable kind of place um so parkour isn't necessarily about pushing risks or taking risks or things like that um people often take risks when unknowingly if that makes sense um okay. so it may be that they are um Uh, in a hyperactive mood and they think oh yes you know i can do anything i've got the power to do this i know i've never done this before but we'll give it a go even though it's so far out their comfort zone purely because they're they've got that kind of energetic high so it's not necessarily that risks are always associated with um wanting to to self-harm but sometimes they are taken unknowingly um, rather than because somebody's not aware of what they're doing um or they're not aware of how they're feeling at that time um, if that kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I can appreciate the the space of someone coming in and their lack of caring leads to an almost, like, I've seen it happen a number of times, but in general, probably if someone comes in and they're in a foul mood and they get hurt, those yeah. things definitely are, can be linked.
1: Yeah, and that's because they're focusing so much on kind of their foul mood that they're not focusing on what they're doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it it's more that there's a disjunct between them and their emotions rather than that they are feeling bad therefore they are going to go towards um mm-hmm. something that takes that takes a risk
0: yeah um i know you said it's not your area of expertise but i do think that you probably have quite a lot to say on the rampant levels of adhd within the parkour community and uh better ways to um deal with those Situations of um, low attention span or hyper focus. Um,
1: yeah.
0: How, what, like would, what advice would you have?
1: Two distinctions there because there are there is ADHD um, and then there are people's personalities. Um, and what I do see a lot of are people going, oh, crikey, they're so ADHD. And it's like, no, they're not ADHD, hyperactive <laughs> <I> people. <laughs> They've just got a lot of energy and they want to use it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think mislabeling people in the wrong way can be detrimental, because if you've got a lot mm-hmm. of energy, you know, you can you can use that productively. Um, and you can use that um, as long as it's guided in the right way. And with ADHD, I think that's that's almost the same. Um, you pointed out ADHD have hyper focus. If you can <laughs> drill into that hyper focus, they will be perfect at what you want them to do um or what you're um you're asking them to do so i think it's it's one of those things that again it's it's not about trying to stop them from stop people with adhd from doing anything it's about understanding how best to to tie into what they want to get out of the class um to to bring in that attention um and bring in that focus definitely
0: you keep coming back to this this principle of like what they want to achieve from the class, um, which is sort of a very classic student led approach to teaching and coaching. Um, are you influenced by a lot of those ideas um, that kind of come with student led approach? So like uh, the uh, the group tends to make the rules themselves. It tends that you need to have buy in. Or as a result of working with the groups you do, you need to have a slightly more authoritarian approach of, hey, you need to follow these instructions or else? Where do you sit on that spectrum?
1: I think there's a certain need to do both. Um, obviously, in order to keep um, people safe, then there needs to be certain, you know, we will do this, we will do that. Um, authoritarian. But um, I've always kind of believed in the, um, if you if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree or constantly go through life thinking it's stupid (laughs) and uh, you know somebody might be good at one thing they might not be so good at the other and so a sport like parkour the the activity and what the person wants to get out of it has to be led by the student um you might say right we're going to focus on on Kongs this week and actually their their intention might be I just want to get over the wall that's where i'm starting (laughs) with today (laughs) Um, and you you might have somebody um somebody else who's in the class who's like you know what i'm gonna focus on double kongs instead Um, and you know they can be in the same class and still enjoy the same the same thing so you know certain ground rules obviously have to be in place you need to know where the toilets are you need to know where the fire escapes are (laughs) um but i I definitely think that it it needs to be student-led
0: i really like that um idea because it speaks so much i mean i'm my my most of my focus these days is on creating inclusive groups and environments so that idea talking to speaking to the individual in front of you and meeting their needs really interests me and i think what's really cool about this conversation so far is that we everything you're saying um drops really nicely into general population coaching Um, which I think is quite a powerful message, but I also think it is um, cool, the lessons you can take from more extreme cases and then take them at the general population and help them. Um, With that in mind, I'd love to explore some of the mental health benefits or some of the um, community and parkour and the practices, um, behaviors that can have positive mental health benefits um, and I'm specifically kind of, I want to start with community because creating community is obviously such, such such an important part of mental health. Yeah. How do you think about that? How do you start building those things? How do you talk about community in your work?
1: I, I think parkour is almost in, intrinsic. Um, it's the amount of people I speak to. And obviously we've got a massive online community. Um, you've got the classes. Um, but what I also find that people do is there's, a, there's almost a, an unwritten parkour passport. Um, I find a lot of people go traveling um, on their parkour passport. So if they go yeah. to the country, <laughs> they will say, hey, is there anybody in this local area that can show me some uh, some training spots? Um, so it's not just kind of your local community of um, the people you train with at home, the, the groups you attend. It's kind of this massive global community that means no matter where you where you go in the world, you will have almost like a a tour guide to show you the local spots and I've spoken to people where they've met people they didn't even speak the same language but they spoke parkour so that was fine (laughs) Um, so parkour has even though it's an individual sport you know it's not a team sport it has this massive strength in its community Um, and one thing that I've also noticed um, when speaking to people is how it changes your immediate community, so your family, your friends, Um, because of this way of overcoming obstacles, of finding different routes to things, um, some people have found that it's even changed their immediate relationships, so previously where they've been arguing with say family members and it's been kind of head on and just reaching a brick wall. They've kind of taken a step back and thought, well, how can I apply my parkour to this? How else can I approach this situation? And actually they've taken the time to take a step back and come at it a different way. So again, overcoming that that obstacle. So in terms of community parkour has multiple benefits for both the, their immediate kind of friends and family developing their, their immediate relationships, um, but also in terms of kind of the wider community and allowing you to have those opportunities where you can go anywhere in the world and speak parkour.
0: <laughs> cool. If I can sort of take that idea, because um, I think you just gave a fantastic defense of parkour, but I think our audience probably knows that quite well. Do you want to take that further and walk into how community affects mental health a little
1: bit? Yes, yes, um, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to show obviously no man is, is an island um social interaction is so important for our, our mental well-being um isolation is one of the biggest factors in um, mental illness um in older adults and younger adults um in children when we, I mean, you, you've probably During a pandemic. <laughs> with a pandemic. Um, there's been, uh, we've been in isolation twice with my son's temperature. That's, wow, dull. <laughs> 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 um, he's fine. He was just teething. Um, so, yeah, I mean, community is so important, whether it's having somebody to talk to, um, whether it's just having the understanding that there are other people in the same situation, um, that there are other people that you can lean on, that you can depend on, that when you are having a bit of a bad day can pick you up by the scruff of the neck and say, come on, let's go out and train. <laughs> Maybe not to, at the moment, but, <laughs> but yeah, the community plays such an important part in, in our mental well being. definitely.
0: Cool. Um, what about um, another parkour biggie, which is this idea of um, challenging yourself, setting yourself goals and meeting them. Another one that feeds into mental health.
1: Definitely. I mean, I think that comes with when we challenge ourselves, we, it comes back to our comfort zone, doesn't it? We see where our comfort zone is. We see what we are able to do, what we're not able to do. Um, and that tells us kind of who we are, but it also tells us like, it gives us a purpose of something to, to focus on. So quite often with, um, Um, kind of depression and things like that you can get so lost in your thoughts that you no longer know who you are or what you're doing or where everything else is and actually by having even just low level challenge um, obviously once you get to a certain level of challenge that can just contribute to how you're feeling (laughs) but um, even if it's just a low level challenge where you're engaging with this understanding of um, who you are and what you're good at and what what you're um, finding challenging with can show you who you are show you where you are at any any one point. And when you overcome those challenges, that sense of, I have the confidence and I have the strength and the ability to be able to do that, then means you're able to build on that and build this solid foundation of, you know what? I can overcome the things that are troubling me. I can overcome the things that um, that are worrying me. And quite often in a lot of the the research that I've been, been doing, um, the fear that you were talking about before rather than being something that you are controlled by becomes another challenge that you've got to overcome and by interacting with that fear on a on a regular basis and overcoming that fear then you have control over it it doesn't have control over you so again that's something that you're empowered by it's incredibly empowering when you think yeah that's hard I can do it though Um, So, at a very basic level, it's you understanding who you are and what you are able to do and then building on that. Cool.
0: Um, If I can get a bit nerdy on you for the last 10 minutes now.
1: That's
0: fine. Um, um, I'm sort of, uh, one of the, no, and correct me if I'm wrong here because this is my understanding, Uh, one of my understandings of um, depression is that it can lead to a very different understanding uh, and interaction with time, specifically that they cannot see the future so well uh, and that they struggle to see what's happening in front of them. Um, uh, When it comes to these ideas of goal setting and challenge, coming up against that idea of not being able to visualize the future is this very physical practice we're doing where we sort of set a goal and achieve a goal, part of a a way of building up a, a better and more healthy perception of time
1: Um, yes definitely I suppose it's also creating that that brain space Um, I mentioned earlier that when people were quite unwell playing around within their comfort zone um, helped them to create that brain space a lot of the reasons why people can't see um, can't kind of plan ahead when they're um, when they're living with depression is because there's so much going on that actually being able to, to see over here is just too much and I, I don't have the brain space for that. Um, so when you're doing something like parkour where you are giving people just even a distraction or just a break from those thoughts and those feelings, um, which at a, at a short, um, short-term short level, a class can just give them, even if it's just a 10, 15 minute break from those thoughts, can give them the brain space to um, to be able to say, right, okay, how can I, um, how can I work on this? Once you've got the brain space, then that's when the kind of goal setting can start to come in because you have that space to go, OK, right, this is this is going to slot in here. I know where that goes. I know where that goes. And it becomes much less daunting and much less overwhelming. Definitely.
0: OK, um, so with the. If I can kind of pull it back to a little bit of contemporaryness right now, because obviously we're all living through. Um, a global pandemic but also probably one of the most acute mental health crisis crises we will potentially ever see and a lot of what we're talking about is as coaches and as teachers how we can help others how can we be helping ourselves right now how can we be um keeping our own mental health going and how can we be helping others where should we be drawing the lines with like um Overdiagnosing others' mental health problems, just realizing that we're all just going to be a bit sad right now.
1: Yeah, I mean that that is that is key. Um we are all in a very, very different situation to how we are normally. Um and I think recognizing that and remembering that um is is essential, that this isn't a typical situation. Um this is I don't think anybody in our generation has ever had anything like this. Um, so, in terms of looking after our, our own mental health, I don't know if you know, um, last week was Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, the theme yes. Was kindness. Um, I managed
0: to not get you that week, which was very silly of me. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I always arrive late, it's fine. <laughs> um, and the theme was kindness. And I think that translates to ourselves as well, um, making sure that we're being kind to ourselves. There's so much kind of, this is the, the, Biggest time that you've had, um, or the the only time you've had enough spare time to do, to do whatever you want to do, get your side hobby going, um, and actually, for a lot of people, it, it's not. Um, it's you know, if you don't, if you come out of um, out of lockdown and you haven't done the ten thousand courses you said you were going to do absolutely doesn't matter um i i'm trying to keep the charity running trying to do my phd trying to work um as i say my son's been home from nursery because he had a temperature so i've got to do all those three things with a toddler running around this is not a typical situation um, you know you've got to give yourself the the breathing space to be like right i can only be me i can only do what i've got to do um but also it's remembering to make time for you as well um so Making times, so if you know that parkour benefits your mental health, even if it's just going outside, finding a rail, finding a log, even <laughs> just taking the time to interact with and play with that log, even if it's just for 10 minutes, giving yourself that you time is essential, allowing yourself to to take that brain space. Um, but of course, speaking with people. Um, as much as we're on Zoom about a thousand times a day, um, and we aren't speaking to that many people face to face. If you are finding you're struggling, speak to somebody, definitely. Make sure uh-huh. that you are staying connected with people. That as I said, in we we are um we are social animals, we we need that community to stay um. Uh, to stay well, so speak to somebody if you're feeling really, um, really unwell, and keep focusing on on you and getting your physical activity in, eating healthy, and making sure that you're giving mm-hmm. yourself some you time.
0: It's quite a list of things to do to yeah, not worry about. Back your head, um, rub
1: your and do a little dance the same time.
0: <laughs> no, I'm actually I'm really interested in one of your final points there, um, because it's a topic that's come up a couple of times, which is. um speaking to someone can sometimes be a very positive experience sometimes can be a very negative experience for people um, and one of the things that really seems to influence that is the way someone responds um, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I, I compare this to my mother and my father if I would like to be angry for a little bit of time I talk to my mother and she tells me how the world is unfair and how that's terrible and then she cheers me up if I want to solve the problem in front of me, I talk to my father because he will immediately begin solving the problem. And they're very different experiences. And I think at different times, people need different experiences. And so when you were talking about that idea of talk to someone, think about who you're talking to and what you get out of those conversations. Because you probably do have friends, and you can probably speak to this a bit better than I, who are much better at empathizing with you. Um, But sometimes you need that and sometimes you need problem solving.
1: Yeah definitely um yeah I mean sometimes if, if you go to a helper and all you want to do is whinge that's the worst case because then you're just like just stop talking and stop trying to help me I just want to have a rant um, so yeah obviously it definitely matches who you talk to um but yeah uh, as long as you are talking to somebody and as long as you are keeping communication with people that's that's essential yeah.
0: one of my uh one of my big things right now is learning to be learning to be a listener instead of learning to be a fixer so I'm yeah. not trying hard on that one the, the um, hardest
1: thing with that is knowing who what people want you to be because like you said you know you'll go to different people for different things but somebody might come to you and it's understanding well do you want a listener or do you want a fixer mm-hmm. <laughs> you know if, if you went to your dad and he became a listener rather than a fixer he <laughs> would be like <laughs> no this was supposed to fix it <laughs> so yeah that is it, true it's understanding <laughs> what that person wants from you at that at that time as well
0: <laughs> yeah um so shall we um just begin to wrap up a little bit uh because it's been a really lovely conversation I think we've t- covered some really cool topics uh but I do want to leave a little bit of space here just for you to talk a little bit about your work and about for your instinct uh, where people can find more information if they're interested in it as well as any signposting or information you feel people could put on and we will put it in the comments of the video as well just sort of shove any useful links in there because there might be people here who ha- are having mental health issues who would appreciate that
1: um yep so in terms of the charity um we're not doing anything online at the moment. Um, Um, me and the other trustees had a conversation about that and um, to go back to that kind of social interaction thing that we were talking about we just decided that from what we want to deliver from the courses that's not appropriate yet but we will be starting the courses up and running um, once lockdown is over if you do want more information then our facebook page is just forward slash free your instinct Um, if you want to check out our website that's www.freeyourinstinct.org If you wanted more um, information on mental health generally, um, the MIND website is really good, especially as I say, it's got that course on sports and um, physical um, sports and mental health. Um, As I say, last week was uh, Mental Health Awareness Week and that is organized by the Mental Health Foundation. They have loads and loads of resources on uh, mental health and mental wellbeing. So if you did want more information on that, then um check out those uh, those services and those websites as well
0: awesome all right let me just make sure we haven't been asked any last minute questions we have not we have had lots of people listening in but no one's asked us any questions Brilliant. <laughs> no worries we must have answered them all thank you all for joining the podcast this week charlotte thank you so much for coming on thank you and for having talking me. with me and we'll finish there